Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you. Good to see you guys online. We're just going to jump right into it. We're starting a new series called Jonah. Uh, and so I don't know how much, how much you guys actually know about Jonah, right? That's, that's actually an important question. We're, we're going to kick off with this. Do, do me a favor. The person next to you, do this. First, look at them. Just look at them real quick. The person next to you say, hey, looking good this morning. Just, just do that. Word of affirmation. Make everyone feel better. Like, hey, you're looking good. Even if you're lying in church, God will forgive this one lie right now. Say it anyway. You're looking good this morning. Next, some of y'all are laughing too hard at that statement, the person you just looked at, I'm just going to say, I won't say who. Uh, next thing I want you to do is this. Oh, the person next to you, would you do me this favor, okay? Here, here's where we're going to kick off the series. Share this. What do you know about Jonah? Now, if you don't know anything, that's okay. There's nothing for us. I know nothing. This is going to be a great sermon series. Real quick, the person next to you, share what you know about Jonah. Take a second to do that, and we will jump into this. All right, here's the real litmus test right here. Ready? Be honest. How many of you, if you said well in your story at all, raise your hand if you said a well in your story right there. Come on, be honest. Don't lie. Don't be lying. You lied earlier. You can't get two lies in one church service, okay? Well, that's what we often know the story is he was swallowed by the well. There's a problem with this uh, thing real quick. I'm about to ruin your, your, your situation in life. There is no well in the book of Jonah. Nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, everything they taught you in children's ministry, you need to go back and gripe at your old children's ministry, gripe them. There's no well. As a matter of fact, you go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it tells you what happened. Jonah was swallowed by what? A great fish. A big old fish. If you don't know how big a fish it is, talk to Dave Harder or Jay Lackey who like the fish, and they'll tell you a fish story, how big a fish there are out there that they've caught that can swallow a man whole. I'll tell you right now, okay? It's, there's no big fish in there. I mean, it's, a, it's a, not a well. The other problem with this uh, that we have to say is that Jonah is not about a whale or a big fish. As a matter of fact, this character is only brought up three times in the whole book of Jonah. And so a lot of times we start thinking about the book of Jonah, we really don't know what it's about. I'll be honest, I go back and read and say, what is this account actually about? It's an interesting, strange book in the Bible that we're going to go and unpack and pull apart. Now, I don't know about you, but for a lot of people I've talked to in the past and stuff, when you talk about the book of Jonah, uh, this whole idea of a man being swallowed by a big fish or a, a well is just difficult to swallow, pun intended right there. You, you know what I'm saying? Like they just have difficulty. They literally say, I, just, I have trouble, and one of the things they'll point to is a man swallowed by a fish, a man swallowed by a well. And here's the thing. I can, I can show you all sorts of this stuff of why this is possible that this could actually happen. As a matter of fact, I think I have a video clip of a person who was literally kayaking, got swallowed by a whale. Look at this. Yeah, no, exactly is what I say. Look at this closer view, slow-mo. And it's for that reason right there, you will not find me swimming in an ocean anytime soon. 
I'm terrified of sharks like I'm terrified of all big sea creatures. I remember when Emily and I went on our first cruise together uh, for our five-year anniversary. I told her we got on the boat. I said, listen, I know you've seen the movie Titanic, but if this ship goes down and it's me and you in a door, your butt's in the water, not mine. I'm telling you right now, I'm not doing it. I'll be your hero any other time, but this time I am not going to do it. Uh, I, anyways, I, I could go through and tell you scientifically why this is real, why this is actually possible. But the reality is this is Jonah just like Anywhere else in Scripture requires faith. There's an aspect of faith you have to come and say, listen, if there truly is a God of the universe who is sovereign in control, created the whole thing, spoke life into existence, is it really that impossible to fathom him calling up a well, a big fish, or whatever it is to do this? As a matter of fact, there are many other things in Scripture that take much more faith to believe. There's other things in Jonah we're going to read that take much more faith to believe actually existed than for me to spend my time right here trying to explain to you how this is a possibility. The question is, will you come to choose to have faith that God is capable of even something like this? I know I had a crisis of faith in college when I was studying through this. and say, man, this seems like such a fairy tale. How do we do this? The reality is, if God is real, God is sovereign, there's nothing beyond what God's capable of doing. The book of Jonah, understand this, is about a bunch of things. It's not about a whale. It's not about a fish. Jo- Jonah is about God's sovereignty, his divine control and power over all creation, you'll read. Jo- Jonah is about God's love and grace for all mankind, people who follow God, people who want nothing to do with God, people who have completely rejected God with their entire life. Jonah is about God's faithfulness, his patience, persistence, pursuit, for even for his most rebellious children, you'll read and find. Ultimately, Jonah is about God, like, period. It's about God. As a matter of fact, they should have titled it God, not Jonah. They, they mistitled the whole account. It's about how God, how he interacts, pursues, and loves us, even when we don't love him. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read all of Jonah 1 real quick, and then we're going to kind of share a big idea and give you some background and unpack it. So open your Bibles to Jonah, if you haven't gotten there already. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, right after Obadiah and right before Micah. Uh, two books that sound like something out of Star Wars, so uh, open those right there. Jonah chapter 1 says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of their evil has come up before me. So Jonah got up and he fleed to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. It says, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to, just to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah, he had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Like, get up, call out to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't, pun- be, won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots and we'll know who it is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, like, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What's your business and where are you from? What's your country and what people are you from? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens that made the sea and the dry land. And the men were seized by great fear and they said to him, what is this you have done? You see, the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he, he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that we, the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and just throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, like, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and they stopped. Sea stopped. It's raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Interesting account. To understand it and appreciate it more, you've got to understand some of the background that we'll get into. But the big idea you're going to see that I'm going to unpack some today is this, is that as Jonah's trying to run from the Lord, you need to understand, you can't run from a faithful, sovereign God. You can't do it. You can't outrun him. As much as you try and you try, you can't outrun a faithful, sovereign God. And so as we unpack and begin to get into this, to understand the cultural context of what's going on, you have to understand Jonah, because otherwise you just completely read through this and not understand the context of what's, what it's about. Jonah is one of the minor prophets, is what they call it. Now, now, minor and major prophets is just really on the book size. I mean, the real novel thing right there. Minor prophet books are books that generally have seven chapters or less. Anything bigger considered major prophets. That, that's real, the scientific evidence behind all that right there. And so he's one of the minor prophets. And a prophet, if you don't know, is someone who gets a word from the Lord. If you see in the very first sentence, it says, the word of the Lord came. That, that, that is considered a prophecy. When God gives a word to someone for someone else or to you, that is a prophecy, a word from the Lord. And a lot of times in our culture, thing, we think prophecy is fortune-telling of the future. If God would tell me, ooh, the, this is going to happen in the future, it's a word from the Lord. And a prophet is a person who brings the word of the Lord to someone. Prophecy still happens today. God lays words on my heart that he feels like he wants to let me know and me to tell other people and say, listen, I don't know why, but God's told, God has that with other people. It still works very much today. And so he's a prophet of the Lord used by God to bring a message. Now, Jonah is different than all the other prophets. Just think about what we just read. What prophecy have you heard really so far on all this sort of thing? There's not a lot being unpacked. As a matter of fact, open your Bibles. You're in Obadiah. Go to the beginning of Obadiah and look how it starts. Just, a few, just literally a page or two back. It says, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the Lord God has said to Edom. And it begins to just unpack this vision, this prophecy from the Lord. Go, go to the next book after Jonah, which I believe is Micah. Look at how it starts out. It says, the word of the Lord came to Micah, the Morshite, and they saw regarding Samurai Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And it says, listen, all you people, and you begin to see a prophecy, a word from the Lord. Jonah doesn't start out like that. Jonah is a historical account. It's not a prophetic word of all the things God's telling a certain people. It's a story about Jonah. It's unlike any of the other prophetic books. It's a story. What's interesting is God is giving a word to a group of people in Nineveh, but the story is actually not about the Ninevites. The story is actually about Jonah and God's people who don't want to live in God's will and follow his will. And it's interesting. Because when you read it, it's so different. How do we make sense? As a matter of fact, there's only one prophetic word in all of it that Jonah actually gives, and it comes in chapter 3, verse 4. And this is all it is. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Jonah sent out the first days to walk the city, and he said this, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. No other word. Short and sweet. Some of you guys wish my sermons were like that. Too bad. That, that, that is all it is right there. That's all he gives. He is different than any other. And so many people look at this and say, well, is Jonah a real story or an allegory? Is it some sort of story made up to teach a lesson? 
There's tons of satire. As a matter of fact, you read it, it's kind of like a Saturday Night Live skit going on all through, and we'll unpack some of this stuff. The, The reality is I do believe it's a real person. You see in 2 Kings verse 14, you see that Jonah actually appears and does another prophetic word. This is a real person. And there's many scholars debate, is he real or not? And so when you read this, you see there's a lot going on. It was written about 150 years after the King David's death, and the nation this time is dealing prosperously as a nation, but spiritually, they are spiritually dead. And Jonah's no different. As a matter of fact, Jonah is a, a wicked person, an absolutely wicked person. And so as we unpack, let's see some stuff going on. Who, who is Jonah got? And so it starts out, the word of the Lord came to who? Jonah, son of Amittai. It's so funny, the satire starts right there. Jonah means dove. And he's the son of a guy named Amittai. You know what Amittai means? Faithful. His name literally means my faithful dove. Well, what's the very next thing we read? God gives him a word and he says, I, I want to go this. And what does he do? He does anything but be faithful. He begins to run. God's like, hey, my faithful dove. And immediately the audience that heard this start laughing. Because why? Because Jonah does the complete opposite of being faithful to God. He's not faithful whatsoever. And God tells him, says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. And I want you to go preach this message. And what's interesting is he tells them his message, and what does Jonah do? Jonah runs the opposite direction to Tarshish. Tarshish in this time would be like saying running to Timbuktu. It's like literally the middle of nowhere to run as far away from God. If you hear that and don't understand, it makes no sense. But when you see it on a map, it makes perfect sense. Jonah is in somewhere around the point A right there. God's saying, hey, I want you to go to point B. Where does Jonah go? Jonah's trying to run to point C. It is literally 2,500 miles the opposite direction, as far away from God's presence, God's word, everything. Like, literally, he's running. Spain at this time, which is the southern point of Spain, this Tarshish he's going to, is literally as far as they've discovered at this point. It's literally as off the beaten path as you can go. He's running as hard as he can away from the Lord. And the question you have to ask is, why is he running? And what is he running from? Well, obviously, he doesn't want to go to this place, Nineveh. And you wouldn't blame him if you know these people in Nineveh, the Assyrian people. Assyrians of province, Nineveh is the town, the city that was in. Assyrians were some of the most wicked people who came and would conquer, and they were conquering Jerusalem numerous times in the past. And these people, you have to understand, would absolutely just ravage and torture their conquered people. If you were to put them on a scale of something that we might understand in our culture and context, think of Hitler and the Nazis, what's going on. Now, let me just say this, like Assyrians, when they would conquer their enemies, they would torture, they would rape women and children, they would impale them on sharp poles under the sun and leave them out just to die and scorch to death. They, they would literally skin them alive and put their skin flesh and, and hang it on the walls of their, their captive cities and stuff so people could see. They would bury people alive, they'd bury people neck deep, pull out their tongues and pin it into the ground so they would literally sit there and just die of starvation and thirst in the dry heat. They would chop off the heads of all their conquered enemies, and literally outside the town they said they would have a mountain of heads. So when people come in, they would say, if you stand against us, this is what will happen to you. Imagine that. And God's saying, I want you to go talk to them. Sign me up. Yes. I'll be on the first missionary bus that way, right? Like, reality is we can't blame him being scared maybe to go, but the reality is Jonah's not scared. As a matter of fact, we learn later he's, he's not scared at all. The issue isn't he's scared. He doesn't want to go tell them about God. He doesn't want to bring this gospel to them. Well, look at chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to kind of jump a little bit ahead just to see what happened. He prays to the Lord after it's all said and done. He says, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought you would do in my own country? 
He says, I fled toward Tarshish in the first place because this. Why? Because I knew your gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. In other words, he said, I know if I go to Tarshish, I mean, I go to Nineveh, I know if they repent, you will show them mercy and grace. He didn't want them to get that. Can you imagine hating someone so much? It's like, I don't even want them to hear hope and mercy. He's racist. He hates them, and that's why he's running. And not just that for him to run. What do we see over and over? It says, what does he run? He runs from what? The presence of the Lord. It's interesting to me. You can say, man, I don't want to live in my calling. But you know what? You can't live in your, avoid your calling and live in God's presence at the same time. You ever done something wrong? You know someone told you to do or something you're expected to do, and suddenly you just can't get around them and look them in the eyes anymore? You ever been in that situation before? You let someone down, and suddenly it just hurts just to be even in their presence? Jonah's the same way. He wants to avoid this calling, so what does he do? He can't even be, and he's running from the presence of the Lord. You can't avoid God's calling and continue to live in God's presence. It just doesn't work that way. And so he runs, and he runs away. And I love verse 4. You see the story come on. This interesting story says, the Lord threw a great wind. Literally, it has this imagery of God throwing like a javelin to get his attention, this great mighty storm that comes. And it says after that, it says, the ship was so patterned around the ship threatened to break apart. The ship is literally a character in the day. It talks about like the ship's trying to decide whether it just wants to fall apart and sink of its own, whether it wants to quit. It's a character in the story. It says, mean, uh, and all this is going on, and what's going on, verse 5 says, the sailors were afraid. These sailors were Phoenician sailors that were expert fishermen, expert sailors. They'd been years and years of doing this. I don't know about you, but whenever I watch Deadliest Catch, and when they start looking scared, I start getting scared, right? I start seeing the stuff they're going through, and they there's no way I'd do it. And they're like, aha, matey, this is a great day. And I'm like, you're nuts, man. What are you doing? They're out there jumping and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It's no different than when I ride in the car with my dad on uh, snowy days and stuff. I remember whenever we had the blizzard of like 08 or whatever, and we're going on the highways and stuff, and my dad's diving all around on the truck, and I'm scared to death, and he's having a good time. And then when I look over and see his face like this, I realize, we're really in trouble. Like, when he's scared, now I'm scared what's going on. These expert sailors are scared. This is a horrible storm. They're terrified to the point that they're taking their cargo and throwing it into the sea, literally throwing away all their profits, costing them so much. Why? Because they're terrified. And where's Jonah? Where's Jonah? Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, and he's stretched out, and he's sleeping. There, there is a situation. There, there is a wordplay going on. You see back in verse 3, it says, Jonah went down to Joppa, and then he went down into the ship, and then he went down to those part. There's a spiritual progression. The more he runs from the Lord, the more spiritually he's declining farther and farther and farther away from God until what? Until chaos is going in his life, and he is so incredibly numb that he doesn't even feel anything. You ever been like that so far away from God that you're just numb to everything? You ever zoned out before? You ever done that? You ever driven in the car, and all of a sudden you look up and don't realize how you got from point A to point B? I remember driving from Chickasha, from Oklahoma City to Chickasha, and I got on the H.E. Bailey, and suddenly I found myself pulling into our house in Chickasha, and I don't remember anything that happened before that. And I was like, what's going on? Uh, it's terrifying to think. I just was completely out of it. Jonah is so zoned out there. He has such a peace at night, and he's sleeping just fine. He, he's not scared at all. And finally, what happens, uh, I love in verse 6, the captain comes to him and gets him. God's trying to get his attention to these storms. Finally, God starts using other people on the ship to get his attention. And the captain says, get up. Get up. Like, what are you doing sleeping? 
As a matter of fact, the word get up is harkens back to the same calling God started with him. What do you say at the very beginning? Jonah, get up. You ever had those deja vu moments where something pops in your head like, man, I've heard that before. Jonah right here is hearing the same calling from this captain's mouth that God gave him in the very beginning of verse 1. Get up. He's like, you need to get up and get going. Maybe you're God. Maybe you're God might answer. And Jonah still is not listening. God's used his sovereignty to try to get his attention through other people through the storms. And finally, they start casting lots, which is more or less just a gambling way of saying, all right, we're going to roll. And if it's a six or a three, you're the guy. And if not, you're good. And so they start going around. All right, you're good. No, two, four. Nope, you're good. Wait, six, three. Wait, suddenly here, every time it lands on Jonah, Jonah's the culprit. Somehow, this must be the person. God uses his sovereignty, even through a dice-throwing game, to try to figure out who is the culprit. And they realize Jonah is the guy causing all this issue. And when they come and confront him and pull this TSA moment saying, who are you? What's your business? Is this pleasure or business you're traveling right now? They begin to ask him. Jonah says something in verse 9 that is so interesting. Look what he says. He said, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and dry land. Have you ever heard more of an empty testimony from someone? Is, is anything here about him saying, like, I worship God. I love him. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a faithful child. And yet everything in his life completely contradicts what's going on going on here. And yet he still knows the verbiage what to say. And it says the men were scared to death and said, what are you doing? And it says what's even weirder story is they knew he was running from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And so they ask him, like, what do we do? Jonah is running from the Lord. He wants nothing to do. He's like, they go, what do we do with you, Jonah? And Jonah says this, get me and just throw me into the water. Just, just cast me into the sea. Because I know this is my fault. It's interesting because it makes it sound like Jonah's repenting and he's owning up to his sin. The reality is Jonah knows he's wrong, but he's still running from the Lord. He knows, listen, if I die, if I die, then at least God will have to pick someone. I still don't have to fulfill God's mission. It's his last plea and statement of, I don't want to do what you want me to do, God. Let me just die and I can completely avoid it. He's still running from the Lord. And what's ironic, in verse 13, you see the men begin to row back, trying to get, the men care more about Jonah than Jonah cares about himself. They're literally risking their own life trying to save this guy. And Jonah doesn't care about them. He has complete apathy of everything around the, the damage that he is causing. And so finally, in verse 14, I love, they cry out to who? The men, these pagan sailors, says they called out to the Lord. Now, now look at your text real quick. What does it say right there? Most texts will have Lord all capitalized in all letters. When it, when it is like that in Scripture, in your Bibles, it's not just a generic, the Lord or a God. It's the Hebrew word, God name, God's divine name he gives himself. It's Yahweh. That They went from crying out to all these other gods to crying out to Yahweh, the self-proclaimed God, the one true God, like, Yahweh, you are real. They've singled out, there's one God, and suddenly it's this one right here, and we believe you are real. We believe, I love what they said. It says, for you, Lord, or Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. So they pick up Jonah, and they throw him into the water. And it says in verse 16, the men were seized with great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The men leave worshiping the one true God. Even in Jonah's rebellion, God is still using him to bring people to him. Which is so interesting, because sometimes I feel like God can only use my faithfulness. God can still use my unfaithfulness. God can still use when I run away from him and avoid stuff like him in life. But who's robbed of all the blessings and the joy in situations? It's me. Who's the one missing out? It's me. And Jonah's throwing the well, and I think he's thinking, finally, I'm done. But what happens in verse 17, the one part we know, says, the Lord appointed. If you don't know what that means, that means God's sovereignty brought together what? A great fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of fish for three days and three nights. Now, many people have pointed to that this is maybe an allusion to Jesus Christ and his time in the, in the tomb. And it might be. Jesus talks about Jonah as a prophet that kind of symbolizes a lot who he is. To me, in a lot of ways, I think Jonah is just that stubborn that it took three days and three nights before he finally comes and says, all right, I'm done. He, he's a typical guy. Let's just say that, right? Just real stubborn, won't own up. There, there's a lot about Jonah that appeals to me and that is so interesting that I never realized before. And this idea I'm about to share with you is not original to me, but the application I have to say with this is Jonah is this. Is when I read Jonah, I have to realize something. I am Jonah. Like when I see Jonah act and how he lives, I see my life right there in front of it. Like think about this for me. Is it just what we've read and unpacked? Like just like Jonah, I'm constantly fighting the urge to run. You ever feel that way? Like, I'm constantly fighting the urge to run from my calling. There's something else I'd rather be doing. God, if I could just pick my own lot of life, or, or why do you have to tell me, like, I want to do something else? Like, I remember moving into our new neighborhood we just got in, and Emily and I, like, both prayed, said, God, we're going to be faithful. We're going to use our opportunity in our neighborhood to, to be missionary. Like, we want to be missional in our neighborhood. A week into my house, I'm out unloading groceries, and a neighbor comes walking up to me to come approach me. And you know what I prayed to the Lord right there? And I said, God, not right now. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to them right now. Like, later. I'm really, like, like and I'm literally carrying groceries, trying to run inside. Like, maybe they won't see me. Like, here I am, and they come. And I'm like, man, I'm constantly trying to avoid God's calling in my life. Like, just like Jonah, like, I'm constantly finding the urge not just to run from my calling, but to run from the Lord's presence. Because sometimes it exposes things in my life that I don't want to deal with. Like, don't, don't say, like, running from the Lord is easy. It is easy. Like, there is always a Tarshish to go to in my life, isn't there? There's always somewhere else that I could go that the grass is greener if I could just go there. And my life would be much more enjoyable. And God, if you, if I, just, I just want to be the God of my life and do my own thing. I love what Tim Mackey, who's the guy who does the Bible Project stuff, said about Jonah in this account right here. He said the sad irony of Jonah is he thinks he's running for his life. He thinks like God is ruining his party. Like the tragedy is that he's actually running from life. Like look at what he has a chance to participate in. In a movement of God's grace that is on a greater scope and scale than anybody has ever known. And he totally misses out on being a part of it, enjoying it. Why? Because he won't give up his little vision of the good life. Like, like that's me. There's always a Tarshish that I could go to. And what's even crazier is there's always an easy way to get there. there there's always a ship ready to take me, isn't there? there? There's always seems to be funds available to, to pay for it. Most people believe that the, the cost, like Jonah actually paid for the entire ship fare. This is a great cost, and somehow he had it and paid for it. There's always something there. And I can convince myself that, you know what, maybe this is the right thing because everything's falling in line. Everything's coming together. So is this really that bad? Because if God didn't want me to do it, God wouldn't have put the ship there. God wouldn't have put money in my account to make it happen. Like, don't mistake, just because things fall naturally in your life doesn't mean this is God's will. J.D. Greer said on this, I love, he said, Satan's role in life is to ready a ship for your disobedience. Like, if you always allow your eyes to wander, there will almost always be a girl or a boy who will return your flirtations. Like, if you want out of your marriage, there will always be a too-good-to-be-true relationship that presents itself. If you tolerate greed in your life, there will always be a great deal on something to buy or a way to cheat or steal to get ahead. There will always be a, always be a reason why you can get, why you can, why you can or feel like you should say no to God. There will always be something there. Like, I, I'm Jonah. I'm constantly running. 
I'm Jonah, I, I, I also know what's right and wrong. I know God's character, right? Like I know his faithfulness and I take advantage of it constantly, take advantage of his grace and think, you know what, God will forgive me. God will, God will, God will take me back. I constantly abuse it. I, I know my theology. I'm like Jonah. I can sit here, and if you caught me any time, I could share my testimony. I could quote off, pipe off scripture like that. But listen, ultimately, sometimes it means nothing. It's empty words that I spit out and, and give to you. And, and like Jonah, I'm fully aware of my sins. I know it's my disobedience that's causing these things in my life. And I know that my running is costing others severely as well. Like my sin is never my own personal sin. It's always communal, always shares. Like some things in my life have not come true and I'm not affecting some have, but listen, it's not ever just going to affect me. I know that. And I know I can sit here just like Jonah and say, it's because of me. And I refuse to own up to and deal with it. Like however, I, I, can, I condition myself to become apathetic and numb or zoned out to it all. Like in other words, listen, I sleep fine at night. I don't lay awake thinking how wrong, how messed up or how things, I sleep just fine and wake up the next day and go right on with my life. J.D. Greer said also, and I love this quote he said, he said, one of Satan's primary roles is to give you a peace about doing the wrong thing. Like in Genesis 3, at the first temptation, he assured the woman Eve. He said, it's okay. The forbidden tree is good for food. It'll make you wise. You won't die. He gave her peace about disobeying God. Like, don't look at the peace in your heart as your guide for life. Look at God's word. Like, peace in your heart can change based on what you ate or what kind of mood you're in. God's word never changes. I know all these things about Jonah that I see myself. And the scariest thing that bothers me the most is not just that, it's I'm Jonah because this, because I realize that God is constantly trying to get my attention. He's constantly throwing storms, variables, signs in my life, trying to say, Eric, hey, hey, I'm right here. Will you listen? God constantly uses other people in my life. They're trying to speak truth, trying to listen, and I completely ignore them, trying to tell me, hey, hey, get up. Maybe your God will talk to you. Maybe your God will listen. Maybe your God will do this, and I completely ignore it. Like, my greatest fear is this, is that if I keep ignoring those variables, those situations where God's trying to get the attention of my life, that at some point it may take a big fish to get my attention. Like, don't mistake, the big fish presents rock bottom in my life. It's when God's exhausted all our opportunities and it comes to a point and says, listen, either you're going to own up to who I am or not. And there's a point in all our lives we deal with this. And the beauty of the fish is it's either an instrument of death or an opportunity for new life. And it all depends on how you choose to respond in that moment. It all chooses depends on how you choose to do it. It's God's intervention for my life and saying, are you going to choose me or are you not? Like, don't, don't mistake, the big fish isn't pleasant. I can't help but think Jonah sitting in that whole time just thinking, if you've ever been around fish, the smell, the, the uncomfort, the discomfort, all sorts of, like, there's nothing pleasant about the big fish coming. But don't mistake, the big fish is God's grace and mercy all at the same time trying to get us. But, like, this section right here is, is not about a story for other people. It is because it shows that even the Ninevites, the Syrian, the most wicked people, God still wants to show grace and mercy to them. But, but ultimately, this is about me. It's about God's Hebrew children here. And he's trying to show this. Listen, you can't outrun a faithful, sovereign God. You can't do it. And the, and the beauty of this is it, this is good news or bad news, depending on how you respond. It's good news because wherever you turn, God is there ready to restore you, to make you his prophet again, to be used by him. 
It's bad news because if you continue to run, listen, God will continue to pursue you. God will continue to stir in your life until you do respond and acknowledge him. And the reality we know of Scripture is God will continue to do it until a point in our life when we get no more opportunities. You see, when the time is up, the time is up. And God finally says, listen, I'm going to ultimately now give you what you wanted. You don't want me. You want separation. There's a place and an opportunity for that. And the question is, how are you going to respond? And so here's the challenge right here. Ready? And this is the one that most of you need to hear, and I need to hear myself. Stop running. Like, like stop running. Like, like some of you, like right now, like the big fish moment is, 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 is right now. If you're listening, like, man, man, is God trying to get my, can I just, can I just like, unequivocally and without any hesitation, like, is God trying to get your attention right now? If you're listening to me and God's at you, that's laid in your heart, yes. Yes. For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty is using me right now to get your attention and say, you need to stop. And if you choose not to, there, there's a big fish coming in your life. It's not a threat. It's actually a promise and a hope because God is so loving and merciful that he will not relent. It's like his child who continues running. Like, at what point do you say, you know, I just don't love my, like, I don't care. Go do whatever you want. I hate you. A good parent would never do that. They would continue to pursue, continue to do everything, exhaust every piece of their power. You want to know the extent God went to? He went to every piece that he had. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. Listen, I'll give everything I possibly have just to get you. That's how relentless he is. And if you reject that, can I say, like, there's nothing more God can offer you. There's nothing more. Like, literally, he's given everything he has. He's thrown his best at you. And the question is, how are you going to respond? Some of us feel like, man, God, God feels so distant. Like, God, God is omnipresent. You know what I mean? Like, everywhere I go, he's there. It's not whether or not he's there or not. It's whether or not I choose to acknowledge that he's there. God, God's right here. When I'm sinning, God's right there. When I'm pouring out and coming to God, God is right there. When I say, God, I need you, God is right there. And right now, God is right here. And the question is, how will you respond? And so I'm, I'm going to offer an invitation because some of you, this is your calling. This is your opportunity to do something. And some of you, I can tell just by the looks, you get the, 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 something's stirring that, you know, you're like, I, I don't want to. Hey, I get it. I've been in your seat when someone preached a message that I knew slapped me right in the face. And I sat there, and Satan's best work is to convince me why not right now. Maybe tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it next time. I'll, I'll fix this at myself at home. When I get home, I'll deal with this. I'll take care of it. And I, and I keep going through the same patterns, the same rhythms. Your, your intervention is you come and say, I can't do it, and give it to God. And you'll see Jonah comes to that point finally where he he relents and says, I give up. That's the most beautiful place for a child of God. I give up. So I'm going to this with your head bowed, your eyes closed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to have a couple elders here. I think Pete will be over here and uh, I'll have JD over here as well that would love nothing more than walk you through what you need to do. If you're embarrassed because what will people think of you, listen, one, nothing's going to bring anybody more excitement or joy in the world to see someone come back to the Lord or come to the Lord for the first time. And secondly, who cares? I don't want to stand before my maker someday and go, yeah, I, didn't, I was worried about what Jimmy over there would think of me if I got up and walked. Who cares? Like, this is so much bigger. 
And so maybe get up right now if you need to. Come, come talk to one of these guys. As I pray, get up and come talk to one of these guys. As we sing, get up and come talk to one of these guys. But respond. If you know you have something in your life that you need to deal with, do it today. Don't wait. Father God, I thank you for Jonah. Um, God, I feel, I feel so inadequate to preach this sermon because I know I struggle with these same things. And then sometimes I think there's a belief that if I preach it, then I must have my act together and I have it all together. I don't. I, I, I constantly am, am, am doing the exact same thing Jonah's doing. But God, I'm so encouraged that you, you never quit. Your sovereignty, you use every bit of fiber, the power in your being to get my attention and to get me to come back. God, I, I just, I, I want that. And God, I know there's others in this room that, that are hungry for what I'm talking about and are convicted. They feel something stirring and says, I need to get up and do something. God, help them get up right now. Don't wait. Right now as I'm speaking, I pray they get up and come talk to one of these men. Maybe they never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, and they say, you know what, I need to give myself to God and, and, and ask Him just to save me. And I pray they get up and come talk to one of these men. If they're a child of God, they're a Hebrew of Hebrews, they're someone who, who knows God and they've walked away and they've allowed patterns in their life that they just become numb to you and who you are, God, I, I pray you would get their attention and just to come down and maybe rededicate their life to you. But God, I pray we'd quit running. I pray there'd be a spirit of uh, just a spirit of repentance and revival right now in this room. Help us not to fear what people would think of us. Fear tomorrow of like, well, what was this going to mean for whatever? God, you will take care of that. God, we trust you. We pursue you. We love you. Thank you so much for pursuing us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you need to respond, you get up, come talk to one of us, and we're going to worship together during that time.